Father in heaven, we do rejoice in that reality. In this time when we feel so weary, when there's so much decay and darkness, to be reminded of your power and your presence, your promises, to be reminded that we are yours is an incredible gift. And Lord, we pray that as we open your word today, that we would leave, whether we're here in the sanctuary or in our homes, isolated or with family and friends, that we would leave differently because of what we've seen and what we've heard. That your spirit would do such a work today that we would know we're being changed. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. From the book of Acts, chapter 2, just after Pentecost, when thousands were added to the number of those who have been saved, we have taken off in a series focusing on these means of grace, the word and prayer, what it means to be part of the fellowship, which is the church. In that moment when thousands were being added at Pentecost and then the number of people coming to faith in Christ was being added to daily as part of that fellowship, the apostles were witnessing the fulfillment of what Jesus had said would happen, that his mission was being accomplished in Acts 1.8, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's still happening. But they were witnessing it in the early days of the New Testament church. They were also witnessing the fulfillment of the last things Jesus said to them in the Gospel of Matthew, giving them the Great Commission, which we're, which we're about to read. But they were also experiencing something else. And that was the results of what it meant to be the salt and light that he told them they were. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. From Jesus' sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and then from the Great Commission at the end of the same gospel, Matthew, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." Now from the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always 
to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. The times that we are living in are difficult. The reality of sin in our world, evil in us and in others, in our world, the reality of a world that is in decay and in darkness, that is dying, is often difficult to endure. Sometimes it's very personal. Other times it takes on a, an international sense. It's greater. But the reason is always because of the fall. It's always because of sin. And you feel it. You feel it in your own heart and mind. You feel it in your families. You feel it whether you have a large fellowship that you are in touch with, whether here or at work or somewhere else, or in isolation. You feel it when you know of a loved one that has been lost or someone that's really struggling with some other dynamic that's waging war on their soul. And we don't ever need to minimize that reality and that pain. Sin is real and its consequences are great. But the church, the true church, has the answer. And the answer is Jesus. And it's not just a shallow Jesus answer. It's the reality of the living God doing everything necessary that those who trust in him will live forever because of who we are in him. In this time when so many are struggling with work, some have lost their jobs, others who have income that's been greatly impacted, others who are having to make tough decisions because they lead companies or organizations, people experiencing incredible relational pain, some experiencing some of the benefits of time more together, and other places time more together is not actually good. Abuse, other sorts of sin and evil, waging war on people because we're in a world that is decaying and that is dark. But in that world, Christ has a mission. It's his mission, his mission to redeem his people. In this time when so much is changing and so much is still very confusing, when so many decisions are difficult to make about what's the fall gonna be like, will our children be in school? Should we keep them home or send them? Should we go to the office or not? In a time when so many things are confusing, many people are experiencing the reality of what does it mean to pivot? What does it mean to adjust? And while we all understand that that is necessary and significant, sometimes for a family, sometimes for organizations, here's a certainty that we have 
because of the fellowship that we're in, the church. The church's mission is the same. The same mission that Jesus spoke to the apostles throughout the Gospels and at the end of Matthew to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is exactly the same. We don't need to pivot, and we will not pivot. That mission is the same. Not only is the mission the same, but the nature of the people who are the people of God is the same. And what is that nature? That in Christ, we are salt and light. That in Christ, he is going to accomplish his mission through us, his people. The mission, what we are to do, and the nature, who we are and how we will do it, doesn't change. It doesn't mean there won't be a difference in methods. It doesn't mean that things won't be tweaked. Our worship services look a little bit different, don't they? But the mission's the same. The mission is the same. And the nature of the people of God is also the same. And it always will be. Because Jesus is going to accomplish his mission. The clarity of the mission was given at the end of Matthew. Go, make disciples. Teach them to obey all these things I've commanded you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And who we are. I want us to begin by looking at Matthew 5 more closely. This idea of being salt and light. Jesus has just called his disciples to gather around him. Matthew 5 and Matthew 6 and Matthew 7 make up the Sermon on the Mount. That's Jesus' great sermon. As crowds gathered around him, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he begins with the Beatitudes, which each start with blessed. That word blessed means happy. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Happy are those who are peacemakers, they will be called sons of God, and on and on. And then he comes to this place in verse 13 where he says, you are the salt of the earth. So I want to specifically drill into these first two words. You are. First of all, you it's plural, so what it means is it's individual and corporate. It's not corporate just in the sense of the people who are inside the walls of PCPC today or our members that are worshiping online. It's you, plural, meaning all of God's people, the church. You are the salt of the earth, not institutions, not systems, not governments. You. Governments aren't the salt of the earth. Systems are not the salt of the earth. Institutions outside of the true church are not salt of the earth. Now, I want to be very careful 
It doesn't mean that systems and institutions and governments or anything like that don't have a place in our society. They do. And that's where we have the profound privilege of being salt and light. We are the salt of the light. The second word, are, is in the indicative mood. It's present tense. Indicative mood means it's a, a mood of reality. You are, meaning present, the salt. You are present, the light. In the present tense, it means currently and continually. Not one day you will be salt, but you corporately, individually are salt. The purpose of salt when Jesus was preaching this, had two primary realities. The first, and I think the primary focus of his attention, is preservation. There was no electricity. So to preserve that which was naturally decaying, meat, fish, they would pack it in salt. And the components of salt and what it would do would preserve that which naturally was decaying so that it could be used at a later date for the purpose for which it was intended. Salt also provided flavor. It influenced that which it came into contact with, not just by preservation, but also taste. And here Jesus profoundly uses that picture as he speaks to his disciples and those who gathered around you are salt. You are mine, called to preserve, called to enhance the flavor in a world that is decaying. Present tense, indicative mood. If you're in Christ right now, you are salt. But how does saltiness work? There's two really important parts. The first is belief. As Christians, we believe that this is the word of God. This book which we preach from, which you read from, which you study from, is the very word of God. We believe that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This is his word authoritative, inerrant, infallible, given to us. In it is all that he wanted us to know about what it means to be in him for all eternity. The word of God is our only authority. and We stand on it. So what we believe greatly impacts our saltiness. If we believe wrongly about the word of God, if we are tempted to not uphold certain truths of the word of God, it affects our saltiness. But if we find ourselves anchored in his word, as we take on no matter what is out there that's in decay, we will be salty. We will be a, a person or a people that brings flavor that brings this preservation principle. 
The second way our saltiness works is not just with the truth that we believe, but also how we behave. That we, as his people, for his glory's sake, for the purpose of extending his kingdom, we, be- we behave the way Christ Jesus has called us to behave. We ask our members and every member, do you, in humble reliance up on the grace of the Holy Spirit, long to live a life, so to speak, that is glorious to Christ? Do you? When we live the way the Lord has called us to live by his grace and for his glory, we are salty. We add a Christ-like flavor, a Christ preservation that exists in places where there's decay. But Jesus, upon telling them that they're the salt of the earth, speaks with a warning. He says, if salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? So how do we lose our saltiness? Well, it has to do with belief and behavior as well. If we seek to eliminate any part of this because it's not a popular truth, if we seek to metaphorically rip out pages or chapters because it's going to be offensive to some, then we are no longer salty. We are no longer giving the right flavor or the right preservation. Similarly, if our issue isn't deleting from it, but adding to it, like the religious leaders did, the Pharisees, creating a system of self-righteousness that made them look as if they were good enough to bring God glory and they should be accepted based on their good works. That is not salt either. We're not to add anything to this book or delete anything. But it's not just in what we believe, whether we eliminate or add to it that can make us unsalty. It's also when our behavior doesn't match what this book says and the person who wrote this book, God himself. When our behavior, even if we have the right worldview, the right biblical view of the world, if our worldview is concrete, solid, orthodox, layered with scripture proofs that we really believe are true, and yet we live in a way that is not consistent with the way Christ loved, then we are not salt. When we live that way with people that don't agree with us, and the way in which we speak is not Christ-like, the way in which we love or don't love is not Christ-like, we've lost our saltiness. We've lost the right flavor. And sometimes we, we act that way because we're afraid if we don't, they won't hear the truth. You never have to compromise the truth, ever. Let me say that again. You never have to compromise the truth. But many people, based on the way they behave, cause the truth to look so unattractive. You've lost your salt. 
the world that we live in is in decay. The word of God tells us that. It's part of the consequence of the fall. And because this world is in decay and we see it, we, like many, make comments about it. Christians make plenty of negative comments and vent tons of frustration over the putrefaction of our society. But our culture is simply doing what comes natural, rotting, because it has no preservative. Friends, Paul said in Romans 1 that the world has exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Do you know why? Well, it's because of sin. And the world is blind to that decay. The world is blind to that destruction. And the world is blind to that death. And so were you. And so was I. The prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, Paul speaks of this in Ephesians, carried all of us along. We once belonged to him. We once gave way to the passions of the flesh. We did what made sense to us. And the world that is in decay, the world that we're living in, people are doing what makes sense to them. They exchange the truth of God for a lie because they believe the lie. And they believe the lie, whatever the lie is, was truth. This is what will ultimately make me happy. This is the ultimate answer to what's wrong in the world. This is the ultimate answer to what's wrong with me. And when the world embraces things that we will never embrace as believers, they're simply doing what is natural to them. John Stott points out, when a society goes bad, we Christians tend to throw up our hands in pious horror and reproach the non-Christian world. But should we not rather reproach ourselves? One can hardly blame unsalted meat for going bad. It cannot do anything else. The real question to ask is, where is the salt? We see a world in decay, systems that are broken, solutions that are broken. The reason is sin. The answer is Christ. And Christ's answer is moving in and through his people to be salt to a decaying world to be a preservative and a flavor that points them to Jesus, to be a people that is in the world, but not of the world. Many times people will agree with the statement like Stotts, and they will say, you know, the real problem is the church. And I agree with them, but not without hope. And then I always seek to ask, and are you blaming yourself too? You see, it's easy to say it's the church's fault and to keep my eyes on people that I think are to blame. 
The truth is, every one of us have the tendency to lose our saltiness, either because we're compromising the truth or adding to the truth or behaving in a way that is not glorifying to Christ. Either error, any of those errors, takes the saltiness away. We must be stewards of saltiness. We must, with the power of the Holy Spirit, examine, is there any place in this word where I'm seeking to delete things? Is there any place in this word where I have added to it in a self-righteous way to puff myself up? Is there any place in this life of mine where I am not salt because of the way I've talked to those who disagree with me? As the Spirit reveals any evidence of that, confess and repent. Turn to Him. Because the privilege of being salt in a decaying world is incredible. It's what the world needs. It's Jesus, and they see Jesus when we are the salt in us. Jesus didn't just give them the image of salt. He also gave them the image of light. The image of light, Jesus says, you, verse 13 or 14, you are the light of the world. Now just think about that. The one who is the light of the world. Jesus preaching, says, you are the light of the world. What he's preparing them for is that I am going away. I am going to accomplish what the Father has sent me to accomplish. And when I go away, the Spirit is going to come, and as the Spirit comes and fills you, you will be the light of the world. He then goes on to say, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So back to the first two words of verse 14. You are. You. Not institutions. Not systems. Not governments. You. Now systems Governments, institutions have their place. And if we engage those as salt, and if we engage those as light, it impacts those structures without us, without Christ, in and of themselves will fall into utter decay. It's guaranteed. But we, listening to the Holy Spirit, have the profound privileges of being stewards of salt and stewards of light. And we can move into those places as he calls us, seeking to let his light shine so brightly through us that people will notice. And what will they notice? Our good works. Do you see it? In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The word good in the Greek here is very, very powerful. It speaks about beauty, being helpful, 
honest, useful, and well-adapted to its purpose. When we believe the right things, and when we behave the right way, when we are salt, we are also light. And when that salt and light enters into all different parts of this world, it is beautiful. It's helpful. It's honest, useful, and well adapted for the purpose. What makes us lights? Christ in us. The right belief and the right behavior. What causes that light to be dim, to not be attractive, to not illuminate the person of Jesus? Our belief and our behavior. If we compromise the truth at any level to what God's called us to, that light begins to dim and may go all the way out. But even if we believe the right things and you stand strongly for what this stands for, but you speak in a way that is ungodly. You lack the love even towards your enemies that Christ told us to have. That light is dim. Or, as this passage says, if you cover the lamp under a basket, the word covering there means hiding it keeping it in secret, not engaging. Well, nobody sees the light. It's a profound play on words. So Jesus gave the church its mission. Jesus spoke in this sermon early on about the nature of God's people. You are salt and you are light. It's a fellowship of salt and light. It's a fellowship that demands our stewardship, where with the powerful illumination of the Spirit, we ask, is there any part of my belief or my behavior that is not salty? Is there any part of my belief or behavior that is not light, that's either kept under the basket, under the bushel, or has wrong belief or wrong behavior? When the humble people of God are convicted by the Spirit of God, to say, let me be that salt, let me be that light. Incredible things happen. Good, beautiful, helpful, meaningful, redemptive, preservative, flavorful acts take place and the world takes note. And when the Holy Spirit moves in co-workers' lives, when the Holy Spirit moves in family members' lives, when the Holy Spirit moves in neighbors' lives, when the Holy Spirit moves, moves in enemies' lives, and they ask you why you're different, it's because they've noticed your salt and your light. Not long ago, a member of our church who is an aerial photographer, I believe it was sometime in early May, flew around the PCPC building in this area and really took wonderful shots. It was incredible for me just to be able to see from that perspective 
what was happening to this building physically. It was also a little sad just to be reminded that we're not going to be meeting in the way we had anticipated for some time. It also reminded me of the many times I've been flying into Love Field and we're coming in towards the west and if I'm lucky, I remembered that and sat on the right side of the plane so that when we got just over this area above Turtle Creek, I could look and see the church. I love doing that. I love especially showing my kids if they're with me. But as I watched that aerial photography and I've thought about how many flights I've had like that, the Lord just pressed something on me that was very powerful, that that is the church that I'm building. He is building this church. But Mark, scattered all over the city and small parishes and small groups and houses block after block after block, wide and far in the city is my church. And when the people of God are truly the salt that he's called us to be and the light that he's called us to be, it is so beautiful and it is so bright, even in the darkest of times. Don't lose hope. Sinclair Ferguson said this, Christians whose lives exhibit the qualities of the blessed in the Sermon on the Mount will have a preserving impact upon a society that, if left to itself, will rot and deteriorate. Without the influence of the gospel, society will suffer moral decay and become putrid, unfit for the f- consumption of good men and women. You are the salt. You are light. He goes on. It is all too easy for us to despair as Christians because of our frailty and insignificance, personally or numerically. However, we must never give in to Satan's lie that we can be effective only when we have large numbers and a show of strength. Jesus' illustration of salt is an encouraging reminder that the apparently cheap and insignificant can influence its environment out of all proportion to our expectation. He can do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can even ask or imagine through you and through me. More frequently, it won't be on a national level. It will happen on a small scale. Your companions will moderate their language. The name of Jesus will not be so easily blasphemed. Those with whom you work will develop something of a conscience about the standard of their work. The conversations of men or women will be brought under control. Respect for others will be more common. Your life will save others from yielding to the immoral pressures by which our contemporary world is characterized. When you are the salt of the earth, you preserve society. What an incredible privilege. And it's true. As long as 
we're salty, as long as we're light. We have to have the right belief and we have to have the right behavior. So what about the times we don't? I'm gonna end with this. Jesus said, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So is Jesus saying that once we are no longer salty, he's done with us? No, he is not. Because if that was the case, Peter lost his saltiness. All the disciples who heard this sermon before they heard the Great Commission had fled. Jesus, because he is salt and he is light, because of the greatest act of saltiness ever was Christ going to the cross and that cross being buried into the ground as he was lifted up. That great preserving act for his people who could live in him and for him, through him for all eternity, took place. The light of the world taking on the wrath of the Father, dying the death I deserve to die and all mankind deserve to die. Jesus conquered that death being raised from the dead. He walked upon the earth a little bit longer. And he restored those who had failed. He restored those who at one time seemed so salty and then said three times, I don't know the man. He restored him in love. And that man, Peter, is the one who preached at Pentecost, where that fellowship formed, that devoted themselves to his teaching, the word of God, to the fellowship, and to the prayers. Friends, the cross is the answer. So when the Spirit convicts you of a lack of saltiness, a lack of light, as you are seeking to steward saltiness and light, Go to the cross, that place of salt, that place of light. Be restored and go forward because this mission isn't through. It's the same mission. And the nature of the mission, the people of God, is also the same. You are salt. You are our light. Father in heaven, thank you for your spirit's presence, for those watching and worshiping from home, those watching all over the world, those who are going to hear this at a time later than a Sunday, and those who are present right now. Lord, would you indeed reveal to us any place where our behavior is not matching our belief? Would you lead us to quick repentance and deep repentance? And would you show us how to be salt and light in all the places you sovereignly have placed us in our neighborhoods, our places of work, where we shop, where we eat, where we play. 
And Lord, would you use us for your glory's sake to bring beauty and hope and preservation and ultimately redemption to places that are so obviously in decay. What a privilege to be a part of that, Lord. We need you. We could never do it without you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.